Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the MSP Initiative Live. And live I am actually here in Philadelphia at a ConnectWise user group, actually, which is uh, nice to finally be back after a couple of years of uh, no in-person events on, on the kind of like more regional user groups. And, and they are back, which is nice. It's actually a pretty good feeling. See some faces that I haven't seen before in a little while, which is always good times. So carved myself out a little place here and, you know, the world has not stopped. We continue to uh, continue to get some interesting things that, that pop out here and there. I see Darren's here. I think Darren's in Chicago, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I am. I am in Chicago at a PAX 8 mission briefing. It's probably too loud where I am. Let me, uh, let me move here, but um, yeah, hold on one second. In-person events, guys. Remember, they're a thing. Hope everybody starts to get back into the swing of things. Um, so I don't believe I have a you know co-partner today on today's session, but that's okay. Plenty to uh, plenty to talk about. You there, Darren. Yeah. So um, hold on, I just moved to another room. I have to say, it's uh, I didn't know what the turnout would be here, but it is. Uh, I mean, it's a full room and uh, people are uh, very engaged and yeah, it's good. Uh, you know, good to see Chicago happens to be beautiful right now. I will say the weather is perfect and uh, yeah, people are out and about and it's great. Sure. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, uh, glad to hear that. Uh, glad to hear that people popped out to that event and uh, very happy to see that. Um, yeah, people are a little bit uh, more adventurous these days. So um, <laughs> let me do some housekeeping that we usually do, right? Get that out of the way. And then um, we can go into the news of the day. Believe it or not, just getting... Where's that sucker? Used to have a little, little mouth here, but I lost it. All right, so just give me a second. All right. So other than me having 30,000 tabs open. There it is. Look at this thing. Pretty neat. You know, kind of pop it open and it becomes a mouse. Otherwise, it's flat. It's a, you know, kind of doesn't take as much space in your bag. Got to love that. Little surface mouse there. Awesome. Easy for traveling. All right. Some just general housekeeping that we normally do. Um, some general housekeeping that we normally do in the beginning of these sessions. So mspinitiative.com, uh, this session and every other sessions will be fine under the sessions tab in podcast and video format. Keep, keep your eyes on the MSP community block parties. Again, three scheduled so far this year. And then right now what's going on is the channel strong tour. And the next one is coming up next week, right? So this time next week, the tour will be happening and we'll be in Chicago, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Indianapolis, Lexington, Kentucky, and Nashville, Tennessee. So if you're interested in popping out or you're in one of those areas, go to mspinitiative.com, click on Channel Strong Tour, throw your name into the form, and we'll make sure you uh, get an invite um, if you're an MSP. So that is the housekeeping. So to open up today's session uh, was something that was actually happening in the middle of last week as we were talking about a few different things. Our, uh, our friends from Threat Locker 
Um, one of D Darren's favorite pl uh, people. Uh, sorry for <laughs> singling you out there, Darren. No, I, I listen. I'm I'm a, I'm not a I'm public. I think it's it's a great it's a great security tool that people should be using or using something equivalent in this landscape. I mean, they can't. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to have it. Yes. So last so last week, Threat Locker put out this alert. Right. I think we talked about it a little bit. Uh, let me share my screen. So they put out an alert saying that they were seeing ransomware incidents coming from MSP tools, specifically when it came from BCD edit <clears throat> to bypass security software. And, um, you know, obviously they, their tool does something other tools don't and vice versa. Uh, but basically, uh, you know, kind of put this out there saying, Hey, you know, there's a problem. Everybody should pay attention, this, that, and the other. Uh, but then, uh, they kind of maybe cause a stir because the other companies in the space, I know a lot of people are fond of Huntress and um, Blackpoint and a lot of the other guys out there kind of came together and said, uh, nothing to see here. Uh, we're not seeing this attack and the tools seem to be fine. Um, Threat Locker seemed to indicate that this was a way to, you know, the MSP tools were being used to the, you know, kind of do this bypass. Um, and all the other guys said, hey, you know, we appreciate the heads up, but unlike the Kaseya events of last year, um, nobody else nobody else saw that this, this was a problem. So there was this kind of pushback, right, from the rest of the companies in the industry. Um, they had similar articles put out where they said last year and, you know, kind of like, what was it, July 4th weekend, all these security companies that a lot of people would consider, you know, competing companies kind of came together, were sharing information, trying to figure out what was going on. And this time, like the rest of the guys that, you know, kind of said nothing to see here. We kind of had these guys out uh, kind of pushing this message. So, Darren, did you did you hear about all of this? What are your thoughts since I kind of picked you out? Of the we'll hear what everybody else. Has no, no I, I mean, I heard I heard about it. And, I, and honestly, I don't have I have not um, I have not spent the time or read enough about the, uh, you know, I, I, we did do the the recommended you know, I believe they recommended some adjustments be made and we did that. And that was, that's the extent of it for me to comment on, uh, you know, right now. And I, I mean, I, hopefully it wasn't just a, a way to get, you know, uh, media attention, so to speak, because that would not be, you know, that would not be cool, but I, I, I can't pass judgment on it one way or the other. So, sure. So yeah, I, I, I saw that email. That was kind of interesting, you know, and, and I was wondering, is that something that was particular to their tools or, or is this something that you could do in your system in, in general for, for stuff? You know, I, so I did see that article here, you know, and I, I guess it's like Captain Obvious. I mean, yeah, we'll make sure that people can't get into the tools that you that shouldn't have permission to get into it. That didn't seem like anything that was like brand new news to me. Yeah. So it definitely created a stir, right? Because on Friday, people were like, you know, kind of like <laughs> the sky's falling. What do we do? What do we do? But it seems like even Kaseya is one of the companies that came out and said, nope, not really seeing this. Yeah. So I guess the feeling here is, I mean, better to be safe than sorry, even if it was potentially a, like a false positive or 
you know, what are the thoughts here? Because obviously every company has their own notification, notification track we kind of talked about notifications last week, right? What's the best way to let people know what's going on? Well, the media and PR is one of those, um, you know, obviously want to make sure that we're not pressing the red button or the alarm before, you know, before we need, but I guess you're going to get some of that. If you think there's a problem better, better be safe than sorry. Is that the feeling out there? Keith, I Nelson, it's a matter of who to trust. I mean, you're sitting there. Uh, it's tough to say one person's trying to sell you extra protection. Another vendor um, purportedly had a breach before that they knew about and didn't disclose it. So now when they say we don't see anything, I go like, do I trust you? I'm, and and um, I have no skin in the game on either one of them, but I'm going like, I don't know what's fodder or dishonesty or... You know, is the message simply they're becoming a target and you need to look at locking everything down? You know, there's someone in the industry that um, people say is a, a industry uh, leader or, or that says we're going to get rid of all RMMs. We're not going to remote anything. And so there's all kinds of extremes going on. What concerns me a little bit is these things get legs and, and get down to you know client base who starts asking questions as they should it's their network i get it but you know you start getting some concerns that um may force people that aren't technical to make bad decisions and sure. so um and then to see a bickering back and forth it became a war i mean it wasn't like well, let's it, digest it, it, it i hate to bring it up but it almost kind of I mean, in my mind, like the last time, I mean, not exactly the same, but uh, it kind of reminds me of the old Arnie Fred back and forth, right? Yeah. And so now, now you're going like, do we have any experts in this field, right? Or are we all just salespeople? And, yeah. and, and, and I found it, I didn't like the father, how it went back and forth. I, I, um, I, I think there is more professional ways to to remember that some of this is forward facing so we have to be clear right you know um it wasn't just an internal argument it's like keep your family fights behind your closed doors and i don't think yeah. we're doing that no i get it i mean there there's that there's, there's definitely a fine line right i mean of of what's uh what's super marketing versus what's actually helpful to the industry so and on Definitely. the surface, that, that is that some of the stuff he was saying is true, and and Threat Locker has some smart people that work there. Um, I'm just not sure how it became a headline and and sensationalized served his mark his messaging the best. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I think it just need there needs to be very 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 kid gloves on this right to make sure that you're not, you know kind of hitting that button unless you absolutely need to, but I, they say they did. They say they're going to follow up with all the documentation behind this. So, you know, Hey, listen, if that helps the industry, then great. It's another thing you can lock down. So is, um, is the message for this to go back and read the little boy who cried wolf? <laughs> I'll, I'll also, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious now. I haven't, I've been the last, uh, since that came out, I've been crazy busy. So I haven't, um, haven't taken a good enough look, but I'm, I'm very curious. So I will, you know, I will also reach out to them and uh, see, see what they can provide. So yeah. I have to, uh, I have to run guys. Sorry, but uh, 
All right, enjoy, enjoy, the enjoy Chicago there, my yeah. friend. Yep. Bye. The, the, the next, the next one that I wanted to point out came out just yesterday, as we see Microsoft continuing to kind of spread their wings. So Microsoft themselves have now launched a cybersecurity service, uh, where basically they're saying for. Um, what was the price point I saw in this article for $3 per month per person. Um, so among, among new products being launched, Microsoft Defender experts for hunting. It will involve Microsoft engineers flagging issues they find in, in devices, 365 software, cloud applications, and identity programs for $3 per person per month. Um, the launch will put Microsoft in more direct competition with pure play security software companies like CloudStrike. And then they also say that there's a, uh, there's also a Microsoft Defender for XDR, which costs $14 per person per month on um, more labor intensive purpose, uh, service. And then the third offering is Microsoft Security Services for Enterprise, which includes a broader set of people driven services. Um, okay. So, <laughs> you know, obviously that's not necessarily directly competing with MSPs, but definitely MSSPs. And if you're already utilizing the majority of the Microsoft stack, does it make sense to now kind of put all your, you know, put more eggs in that basket and have Microsoft now start to do some of the security services that some of the other companies that we're you know, familiar with may already be doing? What do you guys think? Well, to me, uh, security is, is, I've said it a thousand times, I'm a broken record. We think we wear red capes and we think we're superheroes and we're going to solve everything with our magic wand. The fact is, especially when you start talking about security hygiene, there's a lot of process and culture in that, um, that Microsoft will never, ever deliver. They're too big. They, they, they will. So could it become a tool set in ours, in what we present? Possibly, I haven't looked at it. You know, my always concern with Microsoft is a lot of times they come out with something that isn't their. I mean, I, I remember Microsoft phones were the hot thing, right? And so it's hard to bet when they come out of the gate um, because you're going like, is this something I'm going to implement, learn, um, and then have to? They've decided they're bored with this. Um, so I, as as far as being a security provider, I'm going like, no. There's too much training. There's too much explaining. There's there's too much culture change. It, it's just not something I think they fit in. Timmy, I'm still here, George. I have two more minutes. So I, I have to say, you know, as we've talked about, I think if there's a fundamental kind of conflict in that we're basically security, gener I mean, often comes down to protecting Microsoft operating system and Microsoft, you know, hosted solutions and now Microsoft saying, well, hey, you know, you should check this box and we're going to secure it better. And I, I don't know. I, to me, I find it, um, you know, I understand because it's an article also on CNBC. Maybe it was the same one or one I just recently saw that, you know, security is their biggest growth driver now over the next few quarters. And it's um, it's concerning for the reasons we talked about. So not not thrilled about it. Yeah, and I, I don't see how you bite off bits and pieces. I guess kind of what, you know, I don't see how Microsoft says, 
we fit here, we fit here, but we don't fit there. You're not big enough for us to handle here. And, and um, I think there's a huge service delivery. I mean, that's something I'm on all the time. I mean, I think it's it's about our service delivery. It's about our process engineering and re-engineering. It's, it's about our fitting in with cultures and, and so on. And I don't, I don't consider them a threat, and I'm not even sure I consider them an option yet. On, on the other side of the coin, there's a lot of pure play MS Microsoft players, and this this enhances their ability to say that they can stay pure play Microsoft, right? So uh, it, it gives them, uh, you know, at a tier one level, fully committed to the Microsoft stack. Um, it just gives them that ability to say we're 100% Microsoft shop and we can continue. Conversely, you know, security is about layers, right? And it's not always about one solution or one vendor solution. It might be several stacked together doing different things at different layers or different parts, you know, of, of the infrastructure, whether it's an internal or external. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how people align behind that to say, am I going to dump you know, with, with Defender and advanced pieces of uh, Microsoft 365 out of that E5 side to see if Defender coupled up with some of these security services, does it, does it provide something that somebody else isn't providing? Uh, you know, until some people get out there and really start using and talking about it, it's, it's probably a wait and see. And it's probably a wait and see for Microsoft to see how far they'll go with it. But I think at this point, Microsoft is really committing themselves with White House and Intune and many other products to becoming a true security partner in the in the marketplace. And I don't think they're going to take their fingers or their feet off the gas to to see if they can overcome because they are the money giant, right? They do have the resources to buy the accounts. So, you know, don't be surprised if they start making very lucrative offers to give you product to get you hooked and then once you're embedded and they're embedded, it's hard to untangle. Well, that's that's just a, that's always been the bigger concern, right? Is Microsoft, you know, and we, we the names interchangeable. First it was Dell, then it was the telco carriers. Is Microsoft now, you know, put themselves in a position where you know they're taking these customers direct, um, which actually brings up another point. Um, I was helping somebody with a small project, like a family friend. Um, they wanted to roll out the solution. I said, hey, let's not put a traditional server in. Let's just go straight to the cloud with Azure. Um, just small deployment, right? Six, six virtual desktops and maybe an app server. And um, first of all, I want to give uh, Tony and the team over at Nerdio a lot, of, uh, a lot of kudos and cred. Their app's pretty cool. And it makes like probably eight to 10 hours of trying to figure out all the complexity of Azure into like an hour or two of a little bit of a guided setup, which was cool. Um, so kudos to them and what they've been doing over there. Uh, but at the end of the day, like now you can deploy a domain controller serverless, right? It's called AADS. And, you know, at the end of the day, if your virtual workstations are there, your virtual servers, there, assuming you have some sort of application that's server driven in this case, there was, and then you tie in M365 SKUs instead of the regular business standard business premium, you do the M365 business standard, business premium, or M1, M3, M5, instead of E1, E3, E5. Uh, now, all of a sudden, it kind of turns into a almost turnkey. It's definitely not 100% turnkey. There's steps. But to, your, to that point, like with the, the advent of cloud, yeah, the cloud PC SKUs for Microsoft for 365, 
you could literally take an entire infrastructure, go straight Microsoft, and at that point, you know, Pete, you know, Pete they have your customer. Right. You're on Microsoft. Yeah, you're on Microsoft, and then, you know, uh, the new NCE comes along for security, right? Where now all of a sudden it's like, well, if you're if you're thinking that you're going to make your money on selling Microsoft, you're in the wrong business. You got to add value. Well, they keep eroding the value of the of the platform, right? Using their platform. I'm going to go a step further, and I'm going to say not only they're potentially eroding the value of just reselling the Microsoft products with some sort of margin, they're also and I guess they can, they're not necessarily enforcing the rules from what I can tell to somebody buying direct from Microsoft as somebody buying indirect through a partner or a distributor. And case in point, back to this kind of family friend project on the side that I've been working on. Um, you know, the guy went after NCE was started, he started a brand new account, started a brand new domain. He had a brand new licenses. So he's under NCE. They had the option, start a trial, month to month or one year or three year, right? Those are the four options. He started, he did a one year, he added his E, he added E3 licenses. And I'm like, hey, if you want to do this Azure thing, you got to switch to the M365 licenses. So we, we got to see if there's a problem. So, you know, we log in we put in a ticket with Microsoft billing, we get a call and they're like, yeah, it's okay. Go ahead and do it. No problem. No, you know, like even though you're under a one year term, no problem. You could do whatever you need to do. And like, there was really no fight, no must, no fuss. And I'm like, it just seems like the direct experience is a lot more different than what you see, you know, going through the indirect or, or, you know, side right now. And I don't know if that's just because we're in a gray period, but NCE is definitely in there. It was a brand new account. wasn't grandfathered. They're not still under the old rules. Why, you know, why was it so easy then if this is the new NCE, this is the new program for them to just say, yep, you're good. Go do whatever you need to do. And no harm, no penalty, no nothing. So what do you see as the next um, opportunity for us to bring value? I mean, a, a lot of times architecting the systems was a big provider of value that we brought. So George, give, give me your opinion on what do you see as the next well, value provider? So this story actually fits perfectly into your question, uh, Brent. So this, so this guy, you know, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a smart guy. He did a lot of Googling. He talked to other practitioners in his field. And he's like, all right, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. I was told this was going to work. And I'm like, man, you, you maybe got 30% of it right. And 70% of it was not right. It's discombobulated. He's like, oh, I, I want to do VPNs, but I'm going to go total sassy, you know, serverless. I'm going to do perimeter 81. I'm going to do Azure. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm like, your application doesn't like the core application that runs your business won't work like that. Like you can't do that. He's like, oh, I called the cable company. I got a one gig connection. You're just going to do this server, you know, you know, this, this new, you know, kind of SaaS VPN. And I'm like, yeah, the, the application, you know, that you're working with doesn't work like that. It needs to submit TCP IP over a VPN in front of it. It doesn't have the ability to do, you know, software-based VPN like you think. And by the way, Azure has a VPN built into it. Are you doubling up like this, that, and the other? And like, he really got a lot of, conflicting information that in his head, when he put it together, everyone said, it's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work. And I'm like, that's not going to work. And this guy was just trying to self-manage his IT project and he has no clue. Well, I where, where was he getting all that? It's going to work from what, what's that? Where, where was he getting all the, it's going to work from? 
every vendor that he talked to, he called up the direct sales line. He talked and for after talking to other people that are in his line of work, right? And they're like, oh yeah, you can do this, you can do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's an IT guy, right? And then they call up the vendors, right? So he calls up a Microsoft or he calls up a Perimeter 81 or he calls up his, his line of business app vendor. And like, he, he he's like, oh yeah, we can do this, we can do that. This And then it's like, I don't know who, you know, like, where did you get, like, you know, and I know that if you don't put the exact requirements out and you're talking to somebody technical, they can't, you know, they're going to tell you, you know, with a little bit of information you provided, unless they dig for more data, they're going to say, yeah, that sounds like it can work. And then it's like, let's try. And it's like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> let's try causes time, causes money, you know, and then ultimately at the end of the day, everybody wants everything yesterday. And it's like your project's never going to get to a workable point. You, I'm going to spend more time unwinding what you are trying to do than actually putting a solution in for you. You know, I'm going to give you a story I tell clients all the time. It's my koi pond story. I definitely know how to take care of koi. I definitely could go out there and scrub algae off rocks. I definitely can get on all the um, boards and, and become a koi pond genius if I so decided. However, I'd rather stick to my core competencies and, and do my um, computer stuff and let the pond guy come once a month. I, it's the same thing with what we do. Eventually, your friend probably would have gotten to the right place. Eventually. He was 30% there already. Give him three more months, he'd be 90 and, and it'd be good. However, in the interim, he's not doing his core job. It's taking away from his, his delivery of his core product. And then you start looking at and you go, it scales like computer security when we go back to the Microsoft example. It scales for me to learn to navigate that for 20 customers. It doesn't scale really well for you to learn that just for your five, 10 person business. So the delivery doesn't scale well. And so, like I said, my pond guy, no, he comes up to me and says, here's the new type of pump and everything is, I didn't even know about it. You know why he knows about it? That's his business. And that's what I think we have to focus on. I'll keep you in your lane. You can stay in, I'll stay in my lane and where we overlap will work together. So I feed my fish every day. I don't pay the guy to come to feed them, but everything else, done. And it's done right. So I, I, I think the reality is, is like, listen, everybody, there's a lot of information out there, right? I mean, at your fingertips. The problem is, is that you don't know what you don't know, right? To your point, Keith, you know, if he didn't yeah. understand how to arc, arc, articulate his end game, when he's talking with everybody in the middle of the chain of people he's talking to in order to figure out whether this works, he's getting he's giving incomplete inf uh, information and he's getting incomplete information back. And so like, this is the challenge now, right? With all of these vendors and, you know, I guess this has always been the challenge with all these vendors with the direct sales force who would just take any phone call from anybody off the street and say, yeah, sure, let's try it. And it's like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on a second. You don't even know what you're getting into yet, right? And so there's a lot of, you know, pushback, right? Where it's like, guys, come on, like, please don't tell this guy something that's not true. Like you need to get on a conference call. You need to explain the big picture. And like, you'll find out that all of a sudden all these nouveau just click point and go guys, it really doesn't work that way every time. There's scenarios where it probably would have worked okay. But in this case, it was 
not the right thing to do. And look, look from the vendor's perspective too. How much time can they spend educating a guy to do one project? Where he can go educate me or anyone else on this call to do 10 projects. Well, that's the, that's the old adage though, Keith, time is money, right? So yeah. why, why are you hiring a professional like yourself to come in and do something for me? Because you've got that experience, you've done that. And we all run into the small business owner that's like, yeah, but I'm going to challenge that, right? So you do this piece, I'll do this piece. And that's where you say now, most, most mature MSPs or IT companies, right? ITPs are going to say, no, if, if we're not doing it, then we're not going to do the job. And they'll walk away from it before they'll take that because they just know the mess that they're going to get into. And that's the maturity of their firm. But you also know there's that, uh, and I, I use it loosely, but I'll, I'll just uh, rephrase it to a one, one to three piece in person shop. And those those they will they're hungry for the business they're trying to grow their revenue so they'll take anything that comes through the door and whether they have experience in it or not they're good relationship sellers and they'll sell on the relationship personal side i can do it for you i can take care of it and that's that's where everything goes sour and and runs amok but in the end i i think if we go back to your original question george or, or back to the original question of where, uh, it, was it Brian that said it maybe? Um, where, where do you hear value? What's your opinion on it? There's still room for you to be a consultative person as a project manager. And so you're still, there's still going to need somebody to project manage all of these disparate tool sets that are going to come together. And even if it's Microsoft, bet your dollars that it's a product that they bought and then they put the Microsoft brand on, right? That they folded in. So it's not going to be your standard Microsoft product. It's going to have a different set of rules and learning and curves and specialties. And that's where you're still going to come in, that consultative person with that expertise to, to bring the pieces together and manage the pieces that so many others can't. By the way, I always like to say, um, you know, I'm a belly-to-belly -belly sales guy. I'm not the, the new wave send off. And I said, you know how most people learn? By doing from, mis from mistakes. So your choice is to make the mistakes or learn from the mistakes I made on someone else's, not in your environment, somewhere That's else. That's a great point. That's a great point. And so mistakes will be made. You just, I've just done them before. I'm, I'm an expert at making mistakes. That's how I learned. And, and, and you'll, you'll make the same mistake just further on down the line in some project somewhere, something gets overlooked or didn't get provisioned right or something. And you, you get caught in that quagmire from somebody else's not following best practices. Right. And by, by the way, we've all relied on technical advice from Microsoft or Dell that has proven to be in, incorrect. What I tell the businesses, I said, Remember, even the IRS says, don't take my advice. Remember, they, they came out and said that a few years ago, where they said, if you call us up and we give you advice, verify it with someone else. That's something your business owners can relate to. You can't even go to the source and get good advice. Same as there's no different in our business. You're just getting a dude on the phone that made his whole goal in life may be hanging up on you and jumping on, you know, MSP initiative so he can talk to George. 
or just running through the calls because that's what the KPI is, is to see how many calls you can do in an hour. And that's what's yeah. going to determine your bonus or something like that. It has nothing to do with the quality of, of the words that come out of your mouth. It's just how fast can you switch from one to the other? Because that's what the, the ivory tower is looking for. I'm works faster, better, cheaper. Sign up here. Unfortunately, that's just, that's not even in our industry problem, right? That's in every industry problem. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was actually, right before I jumped on this session, I was talking to a few people uh, around the table uh, at lunch here at this ConnectWise user group. And, you know, it's funny, right? I, I kind of call it the pre-pandemic theory and the post-pandemic theory. Pre-pandemic theory was... Everybody who needed an MSP already has an MSP. And the only way to get more customers is to steal them away from other people, right? Post-pandemic theory is, man, so all, all these businesses closed, all these new businesses came up during the pandemic. And now we're kind of on the other side of it, hopefully, and never want to talk about it again, but I'm sure that'll be the case. And now all of a sudden, a lot of MSPs are saying they're signing up end users who have never worked with an IT services or managed services company before. So like... How does that all fit with all of these, you know, kind of money men coming into the industry, you know, kind of buying up all these MSPs, right? I mean, so, you know, like, I don't know if it's 80,000, 100,000, 120,000, I guess, depending on who you talk to, it's like number of MSPs out there, right? But, um, you know, if there's two, four, three, four, 400 transactions a year of MSPs being acquired, but there's still 100,000, the delta of the, the balance of the 100,000 out there, and then you have all of these new businesses. We always talk about the bottom of MSP land, right? Internal IT guys that break out to start their own business. And then people who like, you know, sell their IT company, merge your IT company, go back to work somewhere else. Same happens with small businesses in general, right? Businesses close, new businesses start. Those people need help, just like the guy I was talking about earlier. So I believe, I would love to hear everybody's opinion. I believe there's a lot of business out there when you talk about the total addressable market, uh, obviously things have changed, but you know, going into the pandemic was like half the US's economy was small businesses. And then like how many of those actually had an MSP? Probably single digits. Probably the amount, total amount of small businesses out there versus the amount of small businesses that are working with an IT services or managed services company was probably this much. So I think there's a lot of new business out there, sub 500 employees, I'd even say sub 100 employees, that, you know, are probably companies that maybe didn't even exist before the pandemic or, you know, things happened during the last 24 months. And now there's all new potential clientele out there. What do you guys think? What do you see? There's something else in the news. Uh, uh, one of the highest officers of Apple just resigned because Apple says you got to come to work three days a week. Um, to react to that, uh, uh, it was Facebook, Twitter, I'll catch ones said, okay, we're not going to make the rule that people have to come back to work. So that's a new um, support dynamic that's out there now because um, that will slow down eventually. Uh, someone's going to win the, do employees have to work or not work wars? Um, and um, and then the next thing is, I think your, your figures are great. And I think one of the things we miss out is people are now looking for qualified, experienced, uh, IT providers, and um, 
I think there's a lot of business that'll flow as insurance gets involved, risk assessments get involved, and people say, you've been a nice guy for 20 years, but you really can't protect my network or meet the security requirements uh, demanded by compliance, the state, uh, who I do business with as CMMC spreads out, or keep me insured. So I'll give you some interesting thoughts for for comment here george so you know as a marketing company for msps we do a lot of end user marketing so we see a lot of add subtract type things now what we've seen and what is very common now is we are seeing in the lists of msps an attrition of their um pre midpoint COVID lists of uh, companies that have gone out of business because they couldn't survive or pay back debt because they were so deep, they couldn't, they couldn't spool back up because they didn't have the resources. That number seems to be at about 17% of the lists. It's a pretty high number if you think about it, attrition of a company. We're seeing about 35% attrition of people leaving companies, non-existent email addresses to the 30% of their list over a four to six month period. Wow. Pre-pandemic, pre we counted on when we would buy a list or we would acquire building their list, scrubbing their list, we probably had non-existent of the 10 to 15%. So it's, it's pretty good and the small business uh, exit going out of business due to, to money or resources was probably down in the 5% or under. However, we're also seeing about a 20% growth in new small businesses opening from people that were attrition. So if we don't delete the name and we put it in and now all of a sudden, and they say, yeah, I used to work for so-and-so company. We're seeing people coming out of that that used to work for one of those companies that went out and start their own venture. And those are the new businesses that you're starting to see pop up as young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs. Wow. So, okay. Real numbers here, folks. What, do you, what are your thoughts? Are you, are you seeing this in all of your businesses? Brent, what about you? Oh, specifically what now? Are are you when you're when you're going out to prospect? Are you finding a lot of new companies have popped up in your area that didn't exist pre-pandemic, and vice versa? How does that offset the companies that used to exist that maybe don't exist anymore? You, <clears throat> something that I am seeing is a lot of of people are realizing. Um, the viability of not having a lot of physical infrastructure, you know, a large building, you know, I, I, I personally see it, you got to have some kind of a physical location for business to receive, you know, and whatnot, unless you want to, you know, be advertising your home address or something like that for things. That's the thing that, that I see. Now, I see a lot of also, you know, you mentioned, oh my gosh, you know, maybe even sub 100 people. I'm going to throw it even a lot further, George. I've got 110 businesses in our little corner. Our business park has got 110 businesses. 
I don't think one of them has got more than 10 people working in there. And there's a lot of them that are construction businesses that I know they're making, you know, well over a million dollars a year, but they are, they don't have a lot of employees um, for things. So they need a, a place to park the trucks, but the employees, for heaven's sakes, you don't need somebody to answer the phone sitting in the office. You know, a lot of times you don't need anybody doing the billing from inside the office. You know, and those are some of the things that I've seen is people opening up the prior to this people are like, no, no, there's no way we could ever have people working from home. And now I feel like there's a lot of these smaller pieces are asking them if, if that's a possibility to, to go through and to do, offering it as a, as a benefit. Yeah, so, it, it was interesting. Like even all along the Channel Strong tour, um, you know, we've just had so many of them since August of 2020. A lot of the MSPs that host us, um, they haven't been in the office in a really long time, even now, even off the most recent one, right? We've had one or two stops where all the employees came in for the Channel Strong event at their parking lot. But in reality, their offices have been pretty empty for quite some time. So, you know, to your point, I do believe that, you know, a lot of companies don't need, you know, like, I know that, you know, but, you know, there's the shared office spaces and all this stuff or, you know, the mailbox or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, it just comes down to it's very easy to start a business, uh, viable or not, right? People can, you know, American dream, right? Give you the shot. And I do believe that there's a lot of new potential MSP prospects that didn't exist 24 months ago that exist now. I really do believe that. And just by talking to the people here today in person, I, I think that they are starting to come around to the idea that uh, they don't have to wait for, you know, like they're not, you know, hey, you know, when's your contract up? I'll call, you know, I'll talk to you six months before, like before. I think that there are, you know, net new prospects out there that have never worked with an MSP before that are maybe not the size that you want them to be at, but maybe somebody that could grow to that size. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of these, you know, kind of new companies have popped up. Uh, Pete, I don't know, you know, how I'm sure every company that you're consulting with from an MSP perspective is different, but, uh, and I don't know how many new, new appointments per month they generate on average and all that other jazz, but um, I would, I would think that some of these newer companies, that 20% that you were talking about are probably sub 25 people. I, I would agree with you. And I would also agree with Brent that uh, the predominant amount of them are probably facility less um, they are going right to the cloud. They don't want to see a server. It's just storage in the cloud. It's login in the cloud. It's whatever device I can buy. I'm not worried about uh, whether it's my iPad, my phone, uh, Chromebook, uh, a full Windows tablet or, or, or device. They don't care. They just want to connect and get their services. And so if they can get that and they can get it out of the cloud, they really don't care. And that shipping address um, is less and less prominent because most of them are having a direct ship to the client and doing configurations on site where I, I know back when I was an MSP back in the day, I never wanted my guys doing stuff on site if they didn't have to, because I was afraid of things getting screwed up and not having the tool sets or the bandwidth to download patches or having the client standing over their shoulder and a perception of why am I paying you all these dollars if you, if you can't make this happen. Um, so, uh, you know, they just ship direct to site and then they push an image down and that's it. You know, it's, it's, 
here it is. And if everything's in the cloud, I don't even need to push an image down anymore. Blow out windows or whatever the OS is and give me a browser, right? Pretty much. You know, I was talking about this from my perspective and I just was, was thinking about this here. My wife worked for Panasonic, the avionics department. These are the guys that put Wi-Fi on the jets, okay? Pre-pandemic, they had eight buildings in Irvine, eight. Today, they have one. Wow. So it, it's just the, and the only building that's left is the people that where, where they actually are assembling the antennas. All the other people who are doing the in-flight entertainment, the programming, the office stuff, they're all gone. They are all working from home. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's it, everybody is, is seeing that. However, it doesn't translate to every single aspect of every business. You know, I, I sure hope that people aren't assembling, you know, a Wi-Fi antenna that goes on a jet in their garage, you know, or, or something like that, you know, uh, but you unless, know, you're other, Pete, other unless you're Pete, unless you're Pete, who's trying to put up the Starlink on the side. It's of up, that. baby. It's up. And it's awesome. It rocks. Awesome. Wow. Let's hear about it. 10 out of 10 the, the, score, right? It, I, I, I got to say, at first it wasn't coming up. And it was because the router had beta code on it. So it took about eight hours. And once the beta code came down and reflashed and rebooted, it's like, boom, plug and play. Wow. Starlink internet, baby. So we have our, our fiber to the house now, to our our house office, right? Headquarters. Uh, and by the way, we've been operating almost for 15 years come June as a 100% remote organization. So we're, we're one of those firms that started in the cloud and lives in the cloud, right? But um, came right up yesterday. Uh, we, we, we had a Peloton bike delivered and uh, Denise plugged it in and she's like, yep, yeah, boom, right on. Super fast kicked right in got the peloton you got the starlink i mean you're you're right on the top of the buying list over there yeah we're, we're staying current you know <laughs> i hear you um so is that a replacement for your, for your cable or is that a, a, a in addition satellite? to it's it's 100 satellite up into uh uh elon musk's uh satellite network of what's he gonna throw a thousand satellites up in the next two years or something like that to do how, how He's fast is that? All this new Twitter traffic. Yep, that's right. right. That way he doesn't have to worry about everybody else. But I mean, it, it's working. It's working well. Um, you can see the dish. The dish moves where it's got coverage, or if it's a little bit of a not coverage, the dish will move automatically to reposition itself. And what kind of bandwidth do you get out of it? Um, right now. I think we're running at hundred from a wireless, from a wireless perspective to my phone. That's what it's saying. I haven't done a hardwire connect to it too, because they have a special adapter that they want you to use. If you're going to hook into ethernet of any sort. Kind of going back to the culture and the, the, the work at home. And we've always been, I've always been working home for 20 years just because I don't like driving, uh, you know, unless I have to, uh, but and, and speaking of Twitter, not to get political in which way he's going, because that's not what I'm talking about. Twitter or Elon Musk at this point is one of the people that says he's going to stand up to the culture of employees get to decide whether you work at home and in the office. That'll be an interesting one to follow because um, Apple's 
uh, went to back to work to three days a week and keeps backpedaling. And I forget the names of all of them, but I think those huge test cases are going to set the tone for the market overall. Um, we have, we, you know, we're deep in the shipping industry. A lot of those are run. There's not, there's no American flag um, stevedores. So they're run from overseas companies and they're getting a lot of push that everyone returns back to work. Of course, the longshoremen, you never can unload a container from home. So they were, you know, but um, because of the total environment, they don't want it being mixed. I'm seeing the same thing in some man, larger manufacturing, a little different than someone else was, was describing earlier. Uh, we're seeing where the bulk of the business is in person because it's manufacturing. And that's kind of pushing the office staff to say, your butt needs to be here too. Whether that's for business principles or punitive or easier to manage or optics, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to really tell. But I, I'm starting to see a bigger push to back to normal as far as going to work. And then I see a lot of resistance too. So I, I'll flip flop back and forth. Be interesting to follow how that goes. I think if you categorize knowledge worker versus actual hands-on labor, uh, you're going to see that back to work. And of course, the longshoremen probably never really slowed down. In the oh, yeah. last year, was the, we're real proud of the fact that last year was um, in the middle of moving dispatch all over and, and doing all the COVID stuff. There was more traffic through the LA um, Long Beach ports than any prior year. Believe they were backed up. Why? Uh, yeah, I could give you the reason. One of them was the guy in the White House who didn't even know that, that when he asked for eight year, eight, um, 24 hour dispatch, he didn't realize he was eight years late on that requirement that had been in place for eight years. We still have a trucking problem. And, and in fact, I was in a meeting uh, yesterday where they're looking to see if we can help solve that, but um, I don't think there's any solution until there's some flexibility on California regulations. And remember, diesel trucks get some, I heard the other day, four to six miles per gallon. So having to fill up in California for a $2 premium because of our high taxes on gas is a major thing to an independent trucker. I mean, it's a, it's a, major, and, it's a major thing to me. I paid $148 to fill up the truck yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, so if you're hauling loads back and forth and you're saying, and, and most of them are saying, I don't want to pay your high per permit fees. I don't want to pay your high gas fees. I don't want to meet all the other requirements that Newsom put on all at one time. And they're basically saying, and then you have Arizona and Texas basically saying, we're not going to have those fees. And there's a push to intermogul all the traffic out of LA into distribution points outside of California. Wow. Well, we, have a, we have a pretty significant exodus here in this state in a lot of ways. And um, the sad thing is you keep losing your taxpayers. Uh, you lost some big business going too. So that's, that's what I meant. You know, you know, so you, like, you lost your taxpayers in two ways, not just, not just your personal taxpayers, but that are generating all those other revenues and buying the gas that's generating those gas taxes and all that. But businesses as a whole, it's just counterproductive for them to, to stay. Right. It's like, and it's like New Jersey. You look at something um, 
Rick Scott said, which, are, which I don't support completely, but he said, fair taxes where everyone pays. The bottom 50% shouldn't be not paying tax. And you start thinking of that concept only in the fact that as the taxpayers of higher incomes, the businesses leave the state, you can't have that lower margin not contributing now because you've diluted the upper margin. So um, there's some interesting consequences. You can't social engineer with taxpayer money when you're on taxpayers. Can if you just keep printing it. But the state can't do that. That doesn't matter <laughs> at the state level. The states can't do that. And that's what's interesting. You know, California can only borrow money. Right. Or, or when I'm on the oversight to the local city council, I go, you can't do all the good things you want to do when you're attacking business to pay the tax. Yep. But it it is an interesting point too of you know when you think about technology um, and the the work at home of how many companies now um, have also acquired talent where they were looking for talent couldn't find talent uh, the technology that's in the cloud and that enablement of these companies that have started are able to go and get talent from all over the place they really don't care where it is anymore because the number of touches that you need desk side these days is is so significantly reduced so you know that labor pool now is somebody that's you know living in in california could be working for a company in michigan where before pandemic it was a, a much lower percentage so you know we even see that you know those new companies that are starting up are have a whole different labor pool and where they where they're located in order to do the work that they're they're hired to perform. Which which brings up a, an interesting point. I was just talking to uh, a, a larger MSP, a good friend of mine, who has some people moving out of state, and the fact that he needs to leave people in California because it's his primary state. You're going like, do those people now get a premium? To, you know, similar to a military, right? Do I get more money for staying in the high cost state to kind of keep keep the lights on, so to speak, right? Well, I would say you know, yes, I, but I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of things, a lot of lot of pieces that are kind of commingling, right? You got workforce, you got power, gas, energy costs, you got you know, how technology <laughs> intermixes things, but, you know, physical goods still have to be moved. You know, there's only so much you can do there. Um, I think there's still a truck to, I think to your point, Keith, there's probably still a truck driver shortage in terms of the number of people that are physically behind the wheel versus the number of people they need. Um, a lot of, th a lot of things happening. The autonomous vehicles to take over, especially in the trucking industry, running them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no stopping. Well, there, I think well, you know what? Unless I'm wrong, I, don't know who, um, I, I told the story when my son told me my car drove it autonomously and I let go of the steering wheel, it stops. And then I found out in California, and I thought it was Philadelphia who wanted to get um, driverless cabs. And the states have this organization that says you can have autonomous driving, but you have to have a driver. And, 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 and I thought there was like eight states that actually mandated that already. 
And that seems to be the trend of, um, I don't know if that's pushed by labor, safe, I don't even know. But uh, um, that wow. seems to be- I want, I want to see how many people are going to sign up to be a drone flyer from their house so that they can deliver by drone. Yeah, that, that sounds very cool. <laughs> see that? And, and we got to this conversation all because Microsoft is sticky in so many areas. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> but it just goes to show, you know, all of these things are so tied in and, and how that technology is still the base. So going back to that question of where, where's the value of the, of the IT company, man, you guys have like exploded it in just a very short period of time. Yeah, well, that's what George is good at. I like, I like to throw things out there. You never know. Anyway, guys, um, good chance that Thursday session this upcoming week, which is May 12th. That's actually my birthday. Um, we may, oh, we, yeah, we may, yeah, I have a, I have a session with Mr. Matt Lee earlier in the day, so I may not be able to do both. So we'll see. We'll let you guys know. Stay tuned. Thanks. But thanks there, Walter, but, uh, stay tuned. MSPinitiative.com. The session will be there. And, uh, Hey, you know, if you're, if you're in the, the Midwest, we'd love to see you on the Channel Strong Tour. And uh, stay tuned. Always hey, new George, news coming. I'll see you in a few short hours, George. Exactly right. Talk to you, Pete. All right. Bye. Take it easy, everyone. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.